Well, if you grew up in any kind of religious environment, I didn't. It was a little different for me. But if you grew up in any kind of religious environment, you might have heard somebody say something along the lines like this. God loves you just the way you are. God loves you just the way you are. Now, we Christians have believed this and always believed this. In the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, you know it as well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. The implication from that is that God so loved the world just the way it was and the people in it the, the way they were before they knew anything about God or made any change. But this is, this is only one half of the equation. And like a good parent, like any good parent, God loves you just the way you are. But God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. If necessary, God is, God is willing to hurt your feelings to get you to move on from where you are to where you could be, where you should be. And everything God knows you have the potential to be. And that's a good thing. Today, uh, we're in the part two of our series here entitled Paper Walls, Moving Beyond the Excuses That Hold You Back. And as we discovered last time, there are things worth carrying forward from one season to the next and one year to the next, and there are things we should leave behind. And in this series, we're talking about something we should all leave behind, specifically our excuses. Our excuses. And excuses are like paper walls. From a distance, they look like real obstacles that keep us from doing things, that keep us from moving forward, that cause us to lose all kinds of opportunities. But they seem so real. They seem so intimidating that we just don't go charging through those paper walls that are actually excuses. And excuses look and sound a lot like actual reasons. There's a fine line, though, between reason and an excuse. One disguises itself as the other. And over time, in our conversations and in our responses with others, our excuses sound like reasons become becauses. And becauses, we all have the list of these becauses that, that we, re, we retreat behind or we hide behind. Why don't you exercise? Eh, because. Why don't you eat better? Because. Why haven't you? Why do you always? Why don't you start? Why don't you finish? Why don't you talk to him? Why don't you talk to her? Why don't you just find a way to get through? Whenever these questions come up, we never say, I don't know, because we're rational people. We have a rational reason. And our reason always begins with because. So we have a list of these becauses. But the truth is, often our becauses aren't really the causes. <laughs> There's the difference between a because and an actual cause. And most of the time, it's an excuse masquerading as a cause. It's just a paper wall, a manufactured cause. And our language tips us off. When we catch someone, also, uh, someone else trying to masquerade an excuse as a reason, we usually tell them, 
you're just making up an excuse. You've manufactured a reason for this, and it's not really a reason. You've created a paper wall that you're hiding behind and are trying to pass it off as something that is real, an actual obstacle that you can't get past. The truth is, our, our excuses are really just lies we tell ourselves about ourselves. And then the strange thing about this is that we believe them. We believe the lies. We believe those lies, and we are so convinced that we can be convincing to others. So, last time, I asked you to consider this question. It's a question we'll come back to throughout this series. And the question is this. Is it possible that some of your well-rehearsed reasons are actually excuses? Is it possible that some of your well-rehearsed reasons are actually excuses? Is it possible that some of your go-to becauses are just paper walls? The paper wall is constructed of things someone told you, maybe things that people called you, or things that people labeled you. Is it possible that you've actually invented reasons to defend certain behaviors, certain reactions, maybe even certain overreactions? Why do you react that way? Well, because. Is it possible that your reasons, that your, your becauses, when it comes to your, 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 your reactions, your responses, the fact that you procrastinate and, and about certain things, the certain opportunities you just say no to over and over and over again, is it possible they are paper walls you have created? And the reason we should answer this question is that we need to know if for no other reason, other people know. Other people know when you're trying to pass an excuse off as a reason. They see through that. And the reason you know they see through it, and the reason we should assume they see through it, is because we see through it when other people are doing that as well. You can tell when someone's making an excuse, right? Others can tell when you're manufacturing a reason. And here's another reason to know. People who make excuses rarely make much of a difference. You don't want to get to the end of your life and have missed an opportunity to make a difference because you cowered and lived behind something you considered to be an obstacle. People who make excuses about anything in life rarely make much of a difference. And at the root of our excuses that we pass off as reasons is selfishness. Excuses are selfish. And if you live for yourself, you only have yourself to show for yourself in the end. So, as a Jesus follower, there's another reason we should face up to the fact that we're creating these imaginary obstacles that we call excuses. As we discovered last time, there's a relationship between our ability to follow Jesus and our willingness to acknowledge our excuses those paper walls. Because over time, excuses become the bosses. They tell us what we can and can't do. They, they, uh, they tell us what we can try or shouldn't try, where we can go or can't go. Excuses become little kings, little tyrants, little, little lords of our lives. And if, and if we're willing to do this, we can't, can't actually follow Jesus and live behind our manufactured, lion-fested paper walls and allow excuses 
to be the Lord of our lives. So there's a conflict going on in our lives. So it makes sense that our Heavenly Father would call our bluff and call us out. And He would say to us what we would say to our kids or the people we care about. Stop making excuses. Not because I'm angry with you, but because I know what you have the potential to do and accomplish. He would say, I know what's on the other side of all of this. If you will just stop living behind your paper walls and running to your well-rehearsed becauses. If you were to take this concept and follow it through the Gospels, you might be surprised to hear that Jesus had a habit of doing this. He rarely calls people out gently. And sometimes Christ comes across as not very Christ-like. But that's exactly what someone who cares about a person actually does. You take them out at the knees. If you know that they're going over the cliff, you take them out at the knees because you love them too much to destroy themselves. On one occasion in Luke chapter 9, Jesus invites a man to be his follower. Now, this is actual physical Jesus with actual physical followers. So when he said, follow me, he didn't mean commit your life to me, but he meant when he left this town, he wanted this person to get his stuff, leave this town, and follow him. Jesus was inviting this man to to be one of his core people, the inner group there. So it was an opportunity of a lifetime. But listen to how the man replies in Luke chapter 9, verse 59. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, this sounds so reasonable. Definitely sounds reasonable. We think, well, when's the funeral? In a couple of days or so? But in ancient times, when, when someone died, you buried them immediately. So this guy's father had not passed away. Jesus knew that this man's father was still alive. Funerals were immediate. He wouldn't be out and about listening to somebody give speeches while his father's body was in the house. He wants to delay until his father passes away. Could be a year. Could be five years. Then he plans to catch up with Jesus later. Clearly, it's an excuse. And clearly, Jesus sees through this. So this man feared something. He may have feared losing his inheritance, possibly. Jesus was asking him to follow now, and the man was using his father as an excuse. Jesus knew that later would be too late. Opportunities come and go, and Jesus would be gone. You remember Jesus' reply? It's so unchristlike. Verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, you're making excuses. I'm inviting you to something big. I'm inviting you to to your name and lights. Your fear of missing out is robbing you of something on the other side of this excuse. And you'll you'll look back and you'll regret it for the rest of your life. You know what this guy's name was at all? Nobody knows. Nobody nobody knows. Then another guy volunteers and invites himself in verse 61. He says, I will follow you, Lord. 
Then he probably he kind of catches himself a bit, looks at Jesus' motley crew. You remember the disciples, they, didn't, they weren't that great. They weren't the cream of the crop. And maybe he remembered some, some rumors that were spread around those, about those guys. And in verse 61 it says, But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now this sounds so reasonable as well. We're going to be saying goodbye to Brianna. Going to the airport, let me go. Take her to the airport today, all right? So you guys can, and it's not really an excuse to leave you guys, but we can bring those excuses. It sounds so reasonable, but don't all our excuses seem so reasonable? Isn't that the nature of an excuse? That whenever an excuse comes out of our mouth, we expect everyone, everyone to say, oh, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I understand, no problem. But Jesus knew this was an excuse. Besides, Jesus and his guys left their families to do the Father's will. They missed funerals. They missed weddings. And were possibly disowned by their families in order to protect them. Jesus doesn't give him a free pass. In verse 62, he calls him out. No one, he says, puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Now, this refers to plowing a furrow in a field. Straight row there for you. You have to keep your eyes straight ahead to ensure that straight row. You never, look, you never took your eye off the, that post ahead or that, that uh, I don't know, whatever specific spot you're looking at. A backward look would easily knock you off course in that rocky soil there. When we lived down in Salem, we had a huge yard that I had a riding lawnmower I used. And in order to keep those rows straight, I had to focus on that bush or that post or whatever it was ahead of me. And if I just got distracted and looked around and looked back, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I would find myself veering off a bit. Keeping the row straight, not looking back. So here Jesus says in verse 62, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying you're afraid to go all in, so I'll leave, I have to leave you behind. You're making excuses. But isn't that what a good parent does? Isn't that what a good grandparent does as well, too? Isn't that what love does? It calls us out and names it for what it is. When you love someone, you let them know what you think. You come back privately Jesus did this in public, but you come back privately and you say, you know, every time this comes up, you give us a, a because. And I'm not sure if your because is the cause. <laughs> I think there may be something else going on. So he names it for what it is. And when you love someone, you say to them, that's not a reason. It's a paper wall. You're just making excuses. Here's something to consider. Here's a question you can wrestle with. How would Jesus, who knows your heart, who knows your fears, who knows your insecurities, who knows your entire story, but also sees your potential on the other side of the excuses and the becauses and the reasons that aren't really reasons, how would Jesus respond to your reasons? When you think about the go-to reasons and the hide-behind reasons, the things that are just so comfortable, 
that as soon as the question comes up, you just you give the, an- the same answer over and over and over again. How do you think Jesus would respond to your paper walls? In an effort to get you to stop hurting yourself, He might hurt your feelings. He might say something that sounds unkind because He knows the kind of person that you could be and the kind of person you should be. How would a good Savior respond to your becauses, your reasons, your excuses, your your paper walls? Jesus may tell you a parable. He may tell you a story. He would do that from time to time when people ask difficult questions that He wanted to give a complicated answer to and then leave them thinking. A parable, as you probably already know, is a made-up story written to make a specific point to a specific group of people. So, maybe when Jesus heard your reasons that aren't really reasons, your becauses that aren't the causes, maybe He would tell you a parable, maybe He would tell you this parable that you find in Matthew 25. And when He began this parable, if, if He were to tell you this parable, he, you, you would say, well, Jesus, I've heard this before. <laughs> and Jesus would probably say, well, I want you to listen to it again. But now I want you to listen to this parable through the filter of your becauses, through the filter of your reasons and your, your excuses, your paper walls. It's designed to lead you through your paper walls. So maybe Jesus would tell you this parable found in Matthew 25. So once there was a rich man who was going away on a long trip. He gave his three servants some of his money to invest while he was gone. When he returns, he's going to call each of them to report on what they did with the money while he was gone. So he gave each servant different amounts. In Matthew 25, verse 15, each according to their ability. And the man, the man was gone a long time. Eventually, he returned and asked the servants to report back. The first two servants invested well and doubled their master's money. In verse 23, His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So it was a win-win situation. Servants did what they could with the money, and the master rewarded them. Master was able to have his money doubled up, and the master rewarded them, so the servants were able to have a blessing as well. Then... The third servant, who'd been given the least to invest, which means he had the least amount to lose, comes forward to give his report. And guess what he brings with him? An excuse. (laughs) Now, in every parable that Jesus taught, someone represents God and someone represents the audience, of course. So we got those two things going on. The rich man represents God in this parable. The servant represents us. So Matthew 25, verse 24, says, Master, the servant said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So in other words, you, you don't just take advantage of your own investments. You have figured out how to profit off of other people's investments. <laughs> You're uh, kind of tricky. So the implication here 
The implication here is before I tell you what I did with your money, you need to know, you need to know, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. In fact, it's your fault. It's your fault. You see, if you weren't the way you are, I wouldn't have done what I did. It was all out of my control. It's all an excuse. And in Matthew 25, verse 24, Master the servant said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And then it says, so I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid. You see, at the root of almost every excuse is fear. Fear of failure. Fear of embarrassment. Fear of change. Maybe fear of loss. <laughs> Maybe in the fear of admission. Sometimes the most terrifying experience of a of person's life is acknowledging something about yourself that you've never been willing or able to acknowledge before. Master, I'm afraid. None of us think we're cowards or afraid of anything. But is it possible that disguised in our excuses is a fear we've never dealt with. That fear animates and fuels our excuses. Jesus' most often repeated command was, fear not. Back to Matthew 25, verse 25. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So the servant is really saying, don't be mad at me, don't be angry, because ultimately, it's not my fault, not my fault. And his master replied, I understand, no worries, here's a gift card, go get yourself something nice. No, no. That's not what love does. That's not what love does. Matthew 25, verse 26, you wicked, lazy Servant. So everyone's on edge right now as Jesus is telling this parable. <laughs> What's going to happen? What's going to happen here? Verse 26, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. There's no excuse for this. You allowed your fear to blind you to your opportunity. You allowed your fear to create an obstacle that wasn't even an obstacle. Your fear blinded you to, to the simplest thing you could have done. So that when I returned, at least you would have something to show for the money. I loaned you to invest on my behalf. You had an opportunity, but now your opportunity is gone. Then here's the punchline. And remember, it's a parable. It's a story. It's not true. It's a story with a point. The master turns to his bodyguards and he says in verse 30, Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus' point of the parable is people who make excuses go to hell. No, 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 no. Okay, no. 
<laughs> Waking you up. No, that's not true. But you might want to use that on your kids sometime. <laughs> but this is so disturbing. And it's, it's intended to be disturbing. Behind all this, again, is his love for the world. If you're a golfer, <laughs> if you're a golfer, you understand what Jesus is talking about here. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. If you consider buying Tesla stock before it went public, but you didn't, you really understand this concept, what he's getting at. Weeping and gnashing of teeth doesn't refer to physical pain, but intense frustration, intense disappointment and regret. Just think about maybe the guy who regularly bought lottery tickets and used his numbers all the time, every time, and then this one time he didn't use his numbers and the lottery came up and his numbers were the winning numbers. That would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You had your opportunity. You missed it. You could have moved through your paper wall, but because of your fear, you hung back. There was an opportunity you missed something you could have accomplished, something you could have done for the world, for your family, for your health, and you didn't. You realize that it's not, it's just, it's only your fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's just your own fault. For years, you blamed, you pointed fingers, and now it was, has finally dawned on you that you could have done something about it, but you didn't. You hid behind your reasons that weren't reasons and behind your becauses that weren't the causes. You realize that you were left outside of something good and there's nothing you can do about it. And like the irresponsible, excuse-making third, third servant here, the opportunity came and it went. Jesus is disturbingly intense because He loves you intensely and knows what you're missing out on. He knows what's on the other side of your fear. He knows what's on the other side of your hesitance, your unwillingness to press through, your inability or unwillingness to acknowledge that these aren't reasons. They're just excuses you're disguising as a reason. And if you're not careful, you can excuse your life away. You can excuse your marriage away, other relationships away, relationships with your kids, maybe relationships with your grandkids. You can excuse your health away, and you can even excuse your faith away. If you're not careful, you'll live a life of regret. If we're going to fear something, we should fear missing out on who you could be and should be. That's what you should fear. We should fear missing out on how God created us to be. If we're going to fear something, we should fear missing out on what we could do and should do for the people around us and the world around us. If we're going to fear something, we should fear living life behind self-inflicted, Lie-infested paper walls. Walls that rob you and walls that rob the world of you. Don't miss out. So back to the question. How would Jesus respond to your reasons? 
How would Jesus respond to your becauses? Your family and friends might just roll their eyes and just go with it. But how would Jesus, your Savior who loves you, who knows your entire story, who knows your fears, knows your insecurities, but also knows your potential, how would He respond to your excuses? See, the good news is that God loves you just the way you are, regardless of which side of the wall you're on. The really good news is He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So He's calling your bluff. He's saying your reasons aren't reasons. Your becauses aren't really the causes. They're just paper walls. He knows better. And if we're honest and willing to face our fears, we know better as well. And the really, really good news about all this is that God wants better for you. Are you willing to seek that? So any paper walls the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind right now? Maybe you need to spend some time talking with Jesus, the one who can help you through your paper walls. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking to our hearts. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has been exposed now to their paper walls, and they realize that the excuses that they're making are just excuses, nothing else, not the reason, not the cause. And Lord, whatever paper wall that is in front of us, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us realize we can get through that with your help and how you can bring us through. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has that paper wall in front of them, give them the strength to move on. Give them the honesty with themselves and others around them to move through those paper walls and not hide behind them because it affects our relationship with other people, our relationship with, with uh, those we love, but also too, Lord, our relationship with you. As you call us, Lord, to do certain things and step out in faith, those paper walls can keep us from moving forward. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us to be bold and courageous, to tear down those paper walls, to move forward in your presence, in your guidance. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I pray that you meet the need that is represented here today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.